Hello and welcome to NFL First and Goal, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league on the first Sunday of the regular season. Spotlighting the Niners and Vikings with Ben Lieber of the Vikings Radio Network. The Jaguars taking on the Giants with J.P. Shadrick of the Jaguars Radio Network. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL Insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, great to have you back for another season on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's start with Pittsburgh. Steelers tying the Browns without Le'Veon Bell. Is Pittsburgh open to trading their versatile running back? No. Uh, And my understanding is they've actually had nobody call. And it's not that Bell isn't a great player because, of course, he is a fantastic player one of the best running backs, just one of the best players in football, it's really the contract. And, I mean, the the Khalil Mack situation was one thing. That's a pass rusher who is in his prime and, and available in one of the marquee positions. Um, running back's not like that. So to find someone who would take on a $14 million one-year contract with no guarantee they would stick around after the year severely limits the market. I don't see trading as a viable option. It just... You know, it feels like Levy and Bell is, is just going to wait. Uh, and so the Steelers are going to wait, too. And since we're all waiting, do you have any sense of a timetable? Were you thinking about Levy and Bell perhaps doing what Vincent Jackson did years ago, eating all those game checks, showing up week 11 to make sure he doesn't waste a year of service time? Uh, possible. Now, for Bell, it's actually, interestingly, not about service time. It's really just if he doesn't show up at all, they can franchise him again for the same number. So he has to show up, has to play, is going to play for the Steelers. You know, it's the most he could stay is, is 10 weeks. My sense is it's probably just a couple, um, but it's not for certain because he has not communicated his plan to anyone. He hasn't told anyone for sure when he's going to show up, um, and that makes it complicated. Now, for Bell, I mean, he was pretty outspoken about wanting to show up week one, wanting to have the best year of his career. He's got to play in a – you know, a lot of games to do that. Um, you'd think he'd play in a lot, but at this point, it's still up in the air. Chatting with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Andrew Luck looked good in his return from the shoulder procedure, albeit a loss to Cincinnati. You had the exclusive report on NFL.com after chatting with Luck. What did you learn in that conversation, and what can you tell us about the topic of snowboarding? <laughs> it was fascinating. You know, I had heard the rumor for years um, that Andrew Luck injured himself snowboarding in Europe and he was airlifted out. Um, That was partially true. It wasn't Europe. He wasn't airlifted, but he did have a snowboarding accident. You know, Luck called me on Wednesday night. We talked all about it. Um, He told me he's never going snowboarding again, which I think is, you know, probably a good move. Um, But it's just amazing how much he's been through um, just with the shoulder. He suffered an AC sprain in his right shoulder, you know, another injury that he had to battle back from. This one kept quiet for three years. Chargers matching up against the Chiefs without Joey Bosa, unavailable today with a foot injury. What are you hearing about that status, and could it cause him to miss multiple games? Uh, From what I understand, next week is unlikely. After that, it's really up in the air. Um, And, you know, we'll we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Obviously, going to the doctor on Wednesday, you know, Probably not a great chance to play the following Sunday. This Wednesday, a big practice. Um, it doesn't sound to me from the people I've spoken with that it's going to be a situation where they have to put him on IR. 
seems more likely where he'll just miss a few games and then be back. So maybe it's one, maybe it's two. Um, you know, we'll see. But either way, he's one of the, you know, probably their best player and certainly one of the best players in football. You like to have him for as many games as possible. And um, they thought they were going to have him. They thought this foot thing was, was healed and then turned out to be a different foot injury that, that knocked him out. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Jacksonville beat the New York football giants, but they lost Leonard Fournette in the process. What do you know about his hamstring injury? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine he's going to get some tests and try to figure out how long he's going to be out. And you could see them on the sidelines, kind of back into his hamstring. Um, did, you know, try to come back and maybe consider the possibility of coming back to those make you think it's not major. Um, now, for the Jaguars, I wouldn't expect them to rush him back because, you know, this is a team that has such a great defense that they can be okay just playing defense. Um, so we'll see his status for next week. But, um, you know, obviously the, uh, the, the fact that he left the game and it was declared out is not a great sign for Jacksonville. Finally, the Bills got blown out in Baltimore. Nathan Peterman benched at halftime, so we saw the NFL debut of Josh Allen. you have any sense of what Buffalo is going to do with the quarterback position in Week 2? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say the schedule does not get much easier, and obviously it was not a great outcome. Um, but the problem is Josh Allen didn't look great either. It was kind of, He was 3 of 9. Peterman was not great. Um well, you know, last year was such a magical year for the Bills. They have so much dead money this year. Clearly, team in transition. It's starting to feel like a real rebuilding year for the Bills. Uh, and obviously, you know, you can sort of do that after the year last year. How that incredible that was. Um, I, I will say this: I would be surprised if they made a leap and just said, "All right, we're just going to play Josh Allen." Um, I would imagine they'd stick with Peterman a little more. They really think he is good enough. They really think he is pretty good. But, you know, again, I mean, when the lights come on, that's when you really find out about a player. And unfortunately for Peterman, when the lights have come on, it has not been great. And as always, we appreciate the information. We'll chat with you next Sunday on the NFL on TuneIn. Look forward to it. Thank you. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the 49ers and the Vikings with Ben Lieber, sideline analyst for the Vikings Radio Network. Now let's expand the conversation. Recap Minnesota's 24-16 victory over San Francisco. Pleased to be joined by Ben Lieber, sideline analyst for KFA and, and the Vikings Radio Network. Ben, thanks for taking the time beyond the stats. How would you sum up Kirk Cousins' starting debut for Minnesota? <laughs> pretty damn good. I gotta say, it was it was pretty darn good. Um, you know, he showed a lot of grit. I think that was the one thing that that was surprised to see a little bit. He's you know he's so soft spoken and and he's such a great interview and such a just normal guy that uh, we don't often see just sort of the the dog mentality that he has. And you know, it was it was evident in the last drive. Uh, Vikings needed to pick up a first down, and he scrambled around. And had to dive for the for the first down mark, and uh, took a shot from Elijah Lee, the linebacker for the 49ers, right in the back. And he was short, uh, so he didn't pick it up. But it was this the idea that he was going to put himself at risk in that moment, knowing he's going to take a shot. I thought that really capped off uh, just a, a tremendous first start. He was accurate. He showed some arm strength with some balls over the middle, and then uh, the touchdown to Diggs and both to Kyle Rudolph, he put right right on the money in, in some traffic, too. So 
I thought he had a, a great first game, just kind of showing uh, all the nuances to his game. Chatting with Ben Lieber, sideline analyst, KFAN, and the Minnesota Vikings radio network, you reference some of the weapons that Cousins has to utilize. If you factor in Kyle Rudolph as a playmaking tight end, where would you rank the Vikings receiving core among the best in all of football? Well, I'd have to put it right up there with the top. I mean, I know things can always change, and, and guys can go in, in a little bit of slumps, and sometimes it depends on who you're playing as far as the defense. But when you look at it on paper, um, you know, with Diggs and Thielen, who Thielen, you know, quietly went over 100 yards today. You know, Stephon Diggs, I think, gets a little bit of attention now because of the contract. And, you know, he's getting a little flashier on, on social media and, you know, comes out and scores the first touchdown of the season. But, you know, Adam Thielen, don't forget, he was a 1,000-yard receiver last year and, uh, you know, was kind of quiet during the preseason, comes out and has over 100 yards today. And then Kyle Rudolph, who, you know, didn't get a lot of targets during the course of the game, but did get the touchdown. Uh, you throw in... You know, Dalvin Cook out of the backfield, uh, David Morgan at times is sort of an outlet tight end. You know, you factor all that in there, I, they, they have to be, you know, one of the top skill position uh, teams in the, in the National Football League. Ben, we saw the return of Dalvin Cook. He did lose a fumble, but if he can stay healthy and build upon what he did a year ago, what is the running back going to mean to this offense? Oh, he's huge. Um we talked to him after the game just about the fumble and, and you know, he's like, I'm not going to change the way I run. You know, I run hard and, and that particular play, he broke a number of tackles. It was one of the better runs that we've seen by a running back in, in the last few years and unfortunately you know, he just didn't secure it right away and the defender did exactly what the defender's coach to do was come up from behind and kind of punch the ball up from behind him. And so it was a good defensive play and, and, I, and I still have to applaud the effort. And he had a number of those tough runs and where he just he just sort of slithers through the line. There, there, there doesn't seem to be any sort of hole or opening, and he'll bounce off a tackler, and you know he'll pick up four or five yards on what looked like a, a zero-yard gain. So um, he's he's super important to this uh, to this offense. Just not the way he runs the ball, but the fact that he can be a three-down guy. Uh, they started off the, the game by doing, doing a little swing pass to him just to get lathered up and get that first contact and that first hit. So he can catch a bunch of balls, and he has 55 yards rushing, so they're uh, receiving, so that's all going to add up during the course of the season. Ben Lieber, sideline analyst, Vikings Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. For the first time as a starter, Jimmy Garoppolo has lost the game, and he was mortal today. Three interceptions, including a pick six. How much credit does the Viking defense deserve? Well, I think they were the, they really were the stars of the game. And it wasn't even the guys like Mike Hughes picking those balls off or Harrison Smith who had an unbelievable stat line type of game. But it was the guys up front, you know, Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, uh, Linball Joseph, and then, and then the new addition, Sheldon Richardson, I thought had the best game of all. Uh, all those other guys had some, some sacks and stuff like that. But, you know, Sheldon really caused a lot of pressure. Uh, he penetrated a lot. You know, they really got to the feet and the, and the face of Garoppolo whenever he was asked to stay in the pocket. Uh, and the Mike Hughes, you know, pick six. That was because of a blitz package. And, and uh, Eric Kendricks kind of forced the issue and forced the errant throw. So, you know, we always talk about it's, it's Russian coverage. And uh, it got exemplified today by the Vikings. Ben, we know Minnesota is the reigning division champs. We're getting set for Sunday night football with Chicago and Green Bay. Renew their rivalry. What's your view of the division with a healthy Aaron Rodgers to start the season? Well, it's got to be one of the strongest in football. You know, Aaron Rodgers, no matter what, no matter if he's got, you know, the full complement of, of uh, running backs behind him, 
you know, who's going to step up? Is, is Devontae going to be truly the number one guy with Jordy being gone? No matter what happens around him, he makes everybody better. And, and you always have a fighting chance when you've got a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So I know they're pretty excited about that defense as well. We'll see how that plays out tonight as the season goes along. Uh, I think the Lions, who finished second in the, in the division last year, you know, should be a little bit better. I think, you, I think everybody sort of sees the mentality and the culture change that's happening there, obviously with Matt Patricia coming from a winning program. Uh, and then you got the Bears, who, who makes who they made a huge move to to bolster their defense, and they they it looks like on paper are going to say, hey, we're going to play, you know, efficient offense. We're not going to press anything like totally down the field and put ourselves in bad situations. We're going to run the ball with Jordan Howard. And we're going to play outstanding defense, and we're going to get after the passer. If that all comes to fruition, I tell you what, it, it's it's going to be the best division in football. Ben, I know it was a long broadcast day for you, and I caught you calling a college football game yesterday. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, no problem. Anytime, guys. Thanks. We roll on on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, detailing the Tom Coughlin ball with the Jaguars facing the Giants. Let's welcome in J.P. Shadrick from the Jaguars Radio Network. Let's recap. Jacksonville's win over the New York Giants. Pleased to be joined by a good friend of the NFL on TuneIn. It's J.P. Shadrick from the Jaguars Radio Network. J.P., a lot of positives in the victory. What stood out to you? Uh, Brian, good to be with you. First off, thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, what stood out was the defense at moments made key plays when they needed to again, and we kind of knew that was going to be the calling card of this football team. You had the feeling anyway after last year's group, but they did it again. I mean, the, early in the game, they got some pressure on Eli Manning. Uh, they were attacking the right tackle Flowers. Calais Campbell had a big first quarter in this game, and they couldn't, you know, they, they were getting a lot of pressure. And then they, in the second half, had the interception return for a touchdown on a tip ball by Avery Jones. Got to give him some credit. But then Miles Jack collected it and took it to the house, and that was a big swing in the game. But then again, there's work on defense, too. Two plays later, Saquon Barkley uh, carves him up for 68 yards and a touchdown and, and keeps the Giants in the game. Uh, there's still a lot to work on offensively, obviously. Uh, Blake Bortles statistically didn't have a great day. And the running game had its moments, but Leonard Fournette, after he left the game, they just didn't have that thump. They had to punt in all seven possessions of the second half. So uh, at the end of the day, it's a W. You go up there and get a win against the Giants. You're 1-0 coming home against the Patriots next week. Road victory in advance of the rematch of the AFC title game. We're talking Jacksonville football with J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars Radio Network. JP, what's the outlook at the receiver position with no Marquise Lee for the entire season? Yeah, good question, because he was going to be, if if there was a Marquise type of wide receiver here, and that's still, it was, was an if with him around, uh, it would have been him, I think, you know, because he's the veteran guy of the group, and the guy who's been around here, he was drafted by this team, and he just signed a contract extension and all that. Well, he goes down with a knee injury, and he's out for the year. So now it's a combination of Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, who are just second-year players, each one of those guys. Uh, Dante Moncrief's here in free agency. He only hit five targets today, but only one catch. Uh, Those are the three receivers that had touches in this game today. Um, So it's a combination of guys here. D.J. Chark didn't get a look on offense today. He had a couple of key plays on special teams and coverage as a gunner today which will probably be where he makes a lot of his mark early until they kind of work him into the offense a bit. Right now, it's a it's a mix and mash on at the wide receiver spot. Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, Dante Moncrief for the three guys. They're working Safarian Jenkins, the tight end, in a little bit today. 
and uh, using running backs in the passing game, too. Fournette had three catches today out of the backfield. Yeldon had three more on seven targets. So uh, a lot of running back, a lot of tight ends, and wide receiver when they can. And that's uh, the play-action game is a big thing here. So if they can't run the ball, then uh, the passing game is going to be just tough to stand back there and pat the ball and throw. JP, we track all the games across the league, so I need you to help me out in terms of an individual observation here. I'm looking at the stat line, and I see big numbers for Odell Beckham Jr., 11 grabs, 111 receiving yards. How much was he matched up with Jalen Ramsey in the game? A good bit. I mean, it, it wasn't like the Jags were playing man all day. You know, they just don't play that way. They, they zone it up sometimes. So there were moments in the game where Beckham, against the zone would be lined up and, and going against Barry Church, the safety, which, you know, that's not really what you want if you're the Jaguars. Um, so they had to kind of work some things around. They were moving Beckham around a little bit. So there were moments where he was lined up uh, man-to-man against Beckham and had some catches against Jalen, right? But nothing huge. It wasn't like a massive 40-, 50-yard, you know, run-and-catch for Beckham where he was just carving people up and running through the secondary. It wasn't that that today. They just peppered him. I mean, it was 15 targets, 11 catches. The longest one was 24 yards. So they just kept feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. And, you know, you kind of had an idea he was going to get some, and that's fine. And just don't let him kill you with the big one, you know. And that's that's kind of how the defense played it today. He got his. Uh, Jalen had a couple of plays where he, he shut him down and, and didn't allow him to make the catch. And, and that was fine. But um, they didn't use him exclusively on Odell. Let's put it that way. Breaking down the Jaguars' 20-15 to victory over the Giants with J.P. Shadrick from the Jaguars Radio Network, who is not a doctor. Let me establish that. But you're connected to the organization. <laughs> Any sense of the severity of the hamstring injury suffered by Leonard Fournette? Uh, it sounded after the game, reporters uh, in New York tweeted that uh, Doug Marone said it, he didn't seem too concerned. So take that for what it's worth. You know, it's not. We have Fred Taylor, a great running back here on our uh, on our wall of fame in the building, and he's on our post game radio show and, and all that. And we talked to him in the post game show tonight. And in the 1999 season, he had a hamstring issue where he tried to come back too fast. So he would uh, play a game or two. He got injured. Oh, he took a week off. He'd come back the week after that. Oh, it hurt. Again, he's missing two more weeks and this and that. Don't know the severity of it, but listening to Fred Taylor talk about his experience with anything hamstring-related, uh, if you push it too fast, that can become uh, even more worrisome as you go along. So the head coach didn't seem too concerned about it. Uh, I don't think he would call for panic in a post-game press conference anyway. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I think um, they, they like Yeldon. They like Grant, Corey Grant. But you really want your horse out there. And when he was out there today, now, he was um, he was the winner for net as advertised in that first half. Uh, some gashing runs and a guy who can uh, really carry this football team. So uh, a little too early to tell, I think, to answer your original question. JP, as always, we value the information. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, always good to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. We're back on NFL First and Goal. Let's go round the league with a six-time Pro Bowler, Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. Now let's take you round the league with Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback, spent 14 years in the league, six-time Pro Bowler, shining for the Raiders, Eagles, and the Saints. Eric, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's start with one of your former teams. 
what happened to the Saints defense today? They got picked apart by Ryan Fitzpatrick, of all people. I tell you what, Brian, great to be on with you. But I was surprised looking at the game today. I didn't know that Fitzpatrick had that inning. 48 points today, a couple big shots going downfield to his excellent receivers. And what we thought was the Saints were going to have a improved defense uh, this year with great cornerback play last year. But, again, I think if I'm Jameis Winston right now, I am really worried about my job when I get back in three weeks. And we know all the well-documented off-the-field issues that Jameis has been dealing with. Let's go to Cleveland. Well, let's just start with the mindset of the Browns. If you're in that locker room, does a tie feel like a win based on all the (laughs) adversity coming off the 0-16 season? Brian, I'm I'm telling you, you you just feel for this football team. Great opportunity to start the 2018 season off at 1-0, and you miss a field goal, and some other opportunities go by the wayside. I don't think this is a win for the Cleveland Browns. This is a football game that Ben Roethlisberger didn't play well, uh, the best receiver in the National Football League, didn't have a great day against you. This was a great opportunity Again, as we see the Browns getting a one one win, they come up with a tie. It's not a loss. So, again, they have to try and reestablish that mindset that I thought they had in the first three quarters of the football game. Just too many mistakes uh, in the fourth quarter and in overtime kept them from getting that big W. With Cleveland Brown fans would have been so excited to beat the Steelers in week one, but it didn't happen. They have to really bounce back next week. And, again, look at what they have around the quarterback situation. Taylor played a pretty good football game. Uh, Josh Gordon had a great catch at the end of the ball game, maybe underthrown him uh, to maybe give them that opportunity to win the ball game. But, again, when you talk about the Cleveland Browns tying the Steelers, I don't think anyone had this score uh, coming out of uh, week one. Taking you around the league with Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. Eric, what's your view of the Le'Veon Bell situation? James Conner had a good game filling in for the most versatile running back in all of football. Beyond dollars and cents, how divisive do you think this is going to be moving forward with the very candid comments from many of his Steeler teammates this week? Well, again, when you're in the locker room, you're, you're upset about guys that you know can help your football team get to the end of the season, that magical opportunity to be in the Super Bowl. And as a player in the locker room, you think for yourself, hey, if he's in, we have a great opportunity to, to win these games and get to the next level. When he's not in the ball game, you really when he's not in the locker room, you really can't concern yourself about what's going on business wise. That's that's for the player in the organization uh, to handle. And I know there's been some words uh, last week leading up to the first game about you know, some of the linemen being very disappointed that he's not in. And it is. It's football time. You need to take care of your business financially uh, during the offseason and leading up to the season. But, again, once the season starts, football players want to play football. They want to be focused on football. But I'm pretty sure, as a guy who's held out before, I held out the whole basically uh, preseason and came in and was ready to roll, and my team accepted me. You have to understand that a guy who plays running back in the National Football League, his longevity is not very long. You know, about year eight or year nine, they're trying to get rid of you. So he's trying to take care of his business. And I'm pretty sure those guys in the locker room, once Le'Veon Bell, who's a terrific football player, gets back in the locker room, the Steelers are going to accept him and they're going to try to get that team back 
to where it was last year, playing the Patriots or one of these other football teams to propel themselves into the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Derek Allen is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Minnesota got a solid starting debut from Kirk Cousins to beat San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess, is human, losing for the first time as a starter. <laughs> Three interceptions, had a pick six, but did that tell you more about Garoppolo or Minnesota's defense? Well, we're coming into the season. Uh, Minnesota's defense, we all know, is just nasty. They do a great job. You love Harrison back in the secondary, one of the best safeties in the game. They have Xavier Rhodes, who plays a shutdown brand of, of cornerback. I love this football team. It's how it's built. I was so impressed by what they were able to do with Kirk Cousins. You saw them move the launch points at time. You saw him use his athleticism to get outside the pocket, extend plays, which is critically important against a renewed uh, defensive front from the San Francisco 49ers. But all in all, you know, 36 uh, attempts, 20 completions, two touchdowns from Kirk Cousins. I thought Kirk Cousins was really the difference in this football game. Love to see the bounce back of Cook, the running back, had 16 carries for a little 40 yards and was into receiving game two. So has a lot of weapons around him in Minnesota, and they were just a little bit better today than the San Francisco 49ers. But, again, 49er fans, you have to be excited about what you saw from Garoppolo because, again, throws a pick, comes back, throws a nice little ball uh, back to kind of get them in, in shape. Look about the rookie, too, Dante Pettis, from Washington, two catches for 61 yards and a great, great catch in the end zone, you know, drags the foot, gets them both down. So there's a bright spot with the San Francisco 49ers. But as of right now, the Minnesota Vikings are still kind of on that uh, high level of football. Let's wrap it up with a thought about Monday Night Football. The doubleheader concludes in Northern California. The Rams were so active in the offseason, matching up with Oakland, guided by your old head coach, John Gruden. What are your expectations for Gruden in his second stint with the Raiders? Yeah, I'm so excited. I was up in uh, Oakland with uh, Gruden a couple weeks ago and just kind of trying to feel what he's he's about. And uh, a couple days after that, of course, Khalil Mack gets traded. Offensively, they have so many weapons, and I think that's really where it starts for the Oakland Raiders. They have a quarterback in Derek Carr who understands that there's going to be such a high uh, responsibility from a play-calling standpoint. Gruden loves a quarterback who's going to be able to decipher all that material, all that minutia that you come to the line of scrimmage with, and everyone has to be on board. And I think of getting a guy like Jordy Nelson, who's a very smart, talented uh, football player, to help Amari Cooper be able to make that transition you know, from that young kind of receiver to ascend to that top-level uh, receiver. I think defensively, though, is really where the Oakland Raiders really struggle, particularly in the secondary. There's no more Charles Woodson. There's no more Eric Allen uh, or Mike Haynes is in the door right now. You have to try and build that secondary, and it's going to be extremely tough against the Rams, who have golf and Gurley and all those exciting football players. I think it's going to be a tough game for the Raiders to win. You have to find a way to run away from those two dominant tackles in the middle of the football field. So look for that zone outside run, those tall sweeps to try and get those guys tired and then run at them late in the game. (laughs) This is a close game in the fourth quarter. Hopefully Derek Carr for the Raiders and the Raider fans can bring it through, but I just don't see it. I think the Rams are just too strong right now. And Eric, I don't know if you were even cognizant of it. You dropped the word minutia. It's officially a big word Sunday on the NFL on (laughs) TuneIn. 
get ready for much more, my man. Brian, great <laughs> I'm going to have to bring a thesaurus man. to work. Thank you, Eric. Enjoy the rest of your NFL Sunday. Okay, we'll see you soon, my man. It's NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Let's spotlight the return of Andrew Luck and the Colts matchup with the Bengals. Pleased to be joined by Andrew Walker of Colts.com. Now let's recap the return of Andrew Luck as the Colts fell to the Bengals. Pleased to be joined by Andrew Walker from Colts.com. Andrew, for people who didn't listen to the end of the game or see it, take us through that closing sequence. Luck looking for another comeback win in the final moments. Had the team on the move, and then the Cincinnati defense made a play. Yeah, I mean, it was a prime opportunity for the Colts to kind of steal a win, um, even though I guess it wouldn't be a steal considering the Colts had a double-digit lead halfway, midway through the third quarter. But, you know, there, there Andrew Luck is set up with a about a four-minute type drive and and they get they they face a third and 15 from the Cincinnati 30 and somehow luck finds Jack Doyle for about a 14 yard reception I don't know how Cincinnati would allow something like that but Jack Doyle kind of breaks squeezes through gets to about the first down marker and then really under uncharacteristic of Doyle the ball squeezes out uh you know it's returned all the way for a touchdown and then that's the ball game right there um, you know, you, there's no moral victory to take from that. Um, there's no, you know, well, we, you know, we were in position or anything like that. Um, so, you know, you just had to move on. But, you know, I, I think the team and Andrew Luck did see plenty of good stuff. And, um, and they're, you know, watching this Redskins team right now against, against the Cardinals, the defense dominating the Cardinals. So, um, so they're going to take note of that and watch the film and, and have to make a lot of adjustments moving on to week two. Andrew Walker, Colts.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Andrew, beyond the stats, how would you sum up the comeback effort put together by Andrew Luck? So, I mean, I think it was very successful for the most part. Um, I mean, if, if you weren't privileged enough to watch most of the training camp practices or um, really tune into the preseason snaps and all that, um, you might have been surprised to see Luck um, do what he did uh, today. But it really was no surprise to me because we saw – a lot of what the, what ended up developing today throughout training camp, and and that is a lot of quick action passes, a lot of finding open zones. Um, but I, I, you know, what does surprise me is he was over fifty passes for the day. He actually uh, set a career uh, uh, record for um, his own um, career high for completion. So um, so coming off the shoulder surgery, uh, looks like everything's fine. Um, he was knocked around a little bit, which is. You know, what you kind of come to expect with Luck, he's going to take chances here and there. Um, he did have one ill-advised um, interception inside the five-yard line, which can't happen. But other than that, I mean, I don't think you can be anything but thrilled with what you saw from Andrew Luck, whether you're a Colts fan or just an NFL fan in general, that, that this guy seems to be back and right back to where he was uh, when he ended the season in 2016. Andrew, overall, how many more nuances, how different did the offense look under new head coach Frank Reich today? Uh, I mean, it was night and day from, from the previous season. I mean, um, there's you just saw a lot of creativity. Um, and, you know, I think some fans got a little impatient during the preseason, and, and that happens. I mean, really, ultimately, who cares about preseason? But fans want instant um, results, and they just didn't see it in the preseason. But Today, you saw all kinds of pre-snap motions. Um, nine different guys caught passes. Um, I think seven of them caught at least three or more passes, so they're spreading the ball around. Um, and, you know, we, we saw one three-tight end set where the Colts' third tight end got like a 15-yard reception. So, 
Um, so Frank Reich's definitely brought the creativity, um, and they're using rookie Naeem Hines as a running back all over the field in motion as kind of that joker. So there is plenty different, uh, you know, when you're looking at this Colts offense compared to a year ago or even two or three years ago. Andrew, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for having me. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. How did Deshaun Watson look coming back from his knee injury when the Texans face the Patriots? Let's get analysis from Andy Hart of Patriots.com Radio. Now let's recap the Patriots' victory over the Texans with a good friend of the program, Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, always a pleasure to talk Patriot football with you. Bill Belichick always looks for something negative to use as an incentive for his team. So despite the fact that the Patriots won this game, what do you think Belichick's going to point to in terms of areas of improvement moving forward with Jacksonville coming up next Sunday? Certainly turnovers would be at the top of the list. Um, you know, they sort of gave away a score late in the game with a muffed punt by uh, Riley McCarron, the young practice squad call-up punt returner. Um, you know, they fumbled. They uh, had a through an interception. So I think that would be the one area that's, a, you know, something good football teams don't do is turn the ball over uh, in a game. And, you know, I think you'd look at the defensive side of the ball, the run defense um, was suspect, we'll say. Um, the Texans put up well over 100 yards, you know, had efficient runs more often than not, big play runs more often than not. Um, so other than that, you know, I, I think he's happy. You know, it was funny because, the post-game reaction, Bill Belichick um, was a little happier than Tom Brady. Brady was the one talking about turnovers, points left on the board, higher expectations than this. And Bill was the one who actually said, you know, we did a lot of good things in all three phases of the game, all areas. We just had mistakes we need to clean up in those various areas. But it's opening day, take the win. So sort of funny, maybe Brady's been around too long and he's uh, sort of become Mr. Negativity. Okay, and since you were giving us the overview, why do you think Brady was dwelling on things that were less than positive postgame? You know, I think he, he understands the work in progress that, that is this offense. And, you know, I think today they relied on Rob Gronkowski. And I think Brady knows there's probably going to be games where you can't just rely on Gronk to carry the passing game. And Gronk was huge today from the 21-yard the touchdown to open the game where he was double-covered right in the front corner of the end zone there. Every time they needed a big play, you know, every time they needed to move the ball, put themselves in position late in the first half to score, it was go to Gronk. And at some point, you're going to have to build those complementary weapons. And they got some of it today out of Philip Dorsett. He was very efficient. He caught every ball thrown his way. Um, but as they work through this lack of options in the passing game, this suspension for Julian Edelman, I just think Brady knows how hard it's going to be down the road. And, and he wants to start to put positive building blocks in place. Recapping the Patriots' victory over the Texans with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Tom Brady may play forever, and he's the reigning league MVP, (laughs) but he has to try to avoid taking as many hits along the way. What's the state of the offensive line, and what did you take away from that area today? I think that was a, a real positive from this game, one of the many positives. But that was, to me, the key to this game. The key matchup was this new-look offensive line where you have Trent Brown coming in, taking over that left tackle spot from Nate Solder, who got the big contract with the Giants, against J.J. Watt, Jadevian Clowney, Whitney Merciless, and that Houston front that's not only really good, talented playmakers, but uh, move around. You know, So there's a communication issue, and you have a new guy at left tackle. Would there be issues there? And Brady didn't get touched till basically the second half. You know, there was a, I think his first sack allowed was 10 minutes to go in the game. Um, and they gave him the time he needed to make the plays he needed to. And, 
You know, Trent Brown was very impressive against Clowney mostly most of the day uh, and did it in different ways. You know, CBS did a nice job putting a package together of highlights in the middle of the game where it was, you know, one play he cuts to Devian Clowney. The next play he just sort of reach blocks him. The next play he sort of absorbs a bull rush. And if Trent Brown is going to be that good, um, that's going to be a real calming force on that offensive line. You know, the other end with, with Marcus Cannon, his first game back after missing the whole summer being injured, they rotated a little bit, and Ladrian Waddle gave up a couple pressures. But I thought it was a really nice first effort for this line, and that's important because next week you're going to Jacksonville, and we all know that that Jacksonville defensive front is as, you know, as good as almost any in football. Andy, we know you had a very long day, so we're going to keep it concise and look forward to chatting with you again in the future here on the NFL Odd TuneIn. Anytime. You know it's my pleasure, Brian. Thank you, Andy. All right, see you.